You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where we thought teen takeovers meant overnight lock-ins at the local bowling alley. That is the most didactic delivery ever, but I'll take it. I'm your host, Justin M. Lesneski, the hopeful romantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. And that opening quip, which apparently was a tongue twister that I didn't realize, is about a story of farce that Midsider Fitzpatrick, comma, Lucid, shared in the Discord about a... South Loop Teen Takeover in Chicago in a neighborhood he used to live in. Uh, Take a look at that. It's pretty crazy how, and, you know, my co-host has shared stuff about this in San Francisco. It's pretty crazy how we're getting this mob rule in a lot of places. So we have giant government all over the country, yet we're still seemingly in some ways devolving into anarchy. Very, very interesting. But let me bring in my co-host, joining me from his corner office, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello, hello. Another uh, another week of settling into the new place. My, my stuff arrives on Monday. Uh, unfortunately, though, I'm traveling to a conference, the big hacker conference of the year. DEF CON is coming up uh, next week, so uh, I won't actually unload my stuff until I get back. Uh, but uh, funny story. You know, we always talk about uh, Podcat. Well, Pod Dog, uh, my dog Remington. Um, there's a, a pantry and there's a bottom shelf, right? And uh, he's found that it's exactly the right size for him to sleep in. And so I, I now have a dog uh, shelf in my pantry, which is something I never thought I would say. That's awesome, though. That's one of those where you know I don't I don't necessarily believe in destiny because I don't believe in God or anything. But it's just one of, one of those things where it's kind of like, hey. This is working right. Like usually yeah. <laughs> with, with, with the podcast, it's tough to find a place for a litter box when you move into a place. But there is a closet in the bathroom that fits the enclosure I have for her litter box perfectly. So her bathroom's in my bathroom. It's out of the way. You don't see it. It doesn't make a mess. And, and it's perfect. And it sounds sort of that way with, with Remy as well. Like, hey, this is perfect. Yeah. He has his own spot now. Yeah, he has this little spot. He can curl up and uh, you know, kind of block the you know the the world away from him because you know he's uh, being an Aussie Shepherd. He's super hyper aware, so he likes to have a little quiet, you know, dark sort of place where he can uh, chill. And so yeah, he's been spending spending time uh, in the closet, so to speak. Also appropriate, right? Also appropriate. Yeah, so what exactly. you're saying is your dog is hyper vigilant. He is hyper vigilant, definitely, definitely. Well, well, I think the podcast is as well because she heard us talking about her and and Remy, and she showed up again. She had left when I started talking, and now she's back here again, demanding attention. So, as long as she doesn't pull the cord uh, out again. Yeah, yeah, that's the new thing she started doing. I don't know why, but let's hope she doesn't because we have some farce to witness. Let's do it in life on the midside. 
Just like really fun Yo, we just complain And I hope that this mic is on Cause I'm on the road here I hope this is making some sense I hope that you'll throw up your hands And sing it and tell all the haters That they should just shut up and As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. We accept any and all support, including, and perhaps most of all, affirmations. You know, I say that jokingly, but that one time, I think it was uh, Midsider Ed Joe went in the Discord. Was it was it Midsider Ed Joe, William? Do you remember? I went in the I Discord think it was. and... Yeah, 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 yeah. And he sent us a bunch of affirmations. That actually felt really good. And I felt kind of bad about myself, but like I still reflect on it. I'm like, yeah, that was a good, that was a good week. So yeah, perhaps most of all affirmations. All right, William. This week, I want to take the life in life on the midside very, very literally, because the first two amounts of farce I want to talk about. And don't don't get me wrong, everyone, everyone listening, we're going to talk about Trump. Don't worry. We're also going to talk about Florida. Don't worry. I know those stories were big, and everyone wants to hear about what we have to say about Trump in Florida. But I want to talk about some life stuff first. And the first one is perhaps the most Adam Carolla I will ever be. Right? We, we've talked about backing up into parking spaces before, and that's kind of an Adam Carolla thing. But I have an Adam Carolla thing that is similar to, you know how he always talks about nobody listens? How he'll say to do something and, and nobody does it, even though it's a simple thing to do? The coffee cup thing. It's a, yeah, it's the a coffee cup reminder. Thing. Rinse out right. your coffee cups. Well, I have something very similar to this, and I want you to check me to know, am I the crazy person here? Okay, so the answer will always be yes for me. Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, let's do you want to move on to Trump then? I mean, we could just move on to Uh Trump. Nah, no, let's hear. Okay. Uh, So when we moved into this place we bought, you know, my wife decided to hire a cleaning person because she doesn't want to spend the time cleaning. That's fine. And it's not that expensive here in Florida to have a cleaning person. And it's not like a high-end cleaning service, right? This is like an independent person. But here's the problem I have, William. This cleaning lady comes every two weeks. But for the two weeks afterwards, I'm spent undoing everything she does. Now, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? I mean, I have my things arranged in a way that I like. Arranged in a way that makes my life simpler and more efficient. I'm talking about the bathroom counter. I'm talking about in the shower. I'm talking about the way towels hang. I'm talking about the way my Funko Pops are arranged. And every two weeks, I have to... Oh, also the... uh, the blankets and sheets and stuff on the bed and the couches, right? Every two weeks, I have to come in and I have to redo those because when she cleans, she rearranges them and puts them back in the same way, which is not the way we had them in. And I just don't understand this. Who, working for somebody else in somebody else's house does not put things back in the way they were, especially in the era of smartphones where anyone can take a picture. Like, I appreciate that you want to clean the shelf my Funko Pops are on, but why not take a picture and then put them back? It doesn't take very long. It's not going to add much time. 
So I, I, I don't understand this at all, William. How is it that difficult to do this? This seems like a basic requirement of your job. Why is it every time I want to dry my hands in the downstairs bathroom after the cleaning lady has been here, I have to unfold the towel again because she yeah, folded it yeah. in a way that makes it unusable. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's a, a desire to like fancy things up, you know, you know, make it make it look good. I think it, this might be a um, uh, form over function sort of thing. Does that make sense? Right. Like make everything yeah. look real nice, not matching what not not the functional part, right? Like making it super functional. Because I'm with you on the whole uh, towel folding thing. Like I've always found that super annoying. <laughs> when people, you go to someone's house or like you walk, the first thing you walk into a hotel room, I mean, it looks really nice to have all the towels folded perfectly neatly, right? And it, uh, I guess in the hotel room, it sort of makes sense. You know, it's not been used at all, right? Because you know why you know it's not been used at all? It's because no one could use any of the towels because they're all folded. <laughs> they're all folded like super tight. <laughs> So you really just hit on something that's really interesting to me. Because when you say form over function and you say hotel, it clicks with something with me. The first thing is, let's take the example of you you were bringing the towel one. What about the body wash and the shampoo in the shower? What I mean by that is the shampoo is the tallest bottle. So she puts it in the back. But I always have them next to each other. I don't need it behind. But yeah, you're thinking of sorting it visually. You would put the tallest behind for being visually pleasing. But then that goes to something else you just said. The area I live in is full of Airbnbs, is it not? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I live right near Disney and Universal. So maybe this cleaning lady is so used to cleaning for Airbnbs. That's her main service. And main clientele and maybe that's why she is the way she is it maybe that's even what enables us to get a good deal is she has such a a high number of airbnbs that she can take a client like us on and not charge us as much because in a way we're being subsidized and i don't mean that in the in the negative welfare sense but i mean that when you have such a market it makes it easier to do it differently for a private customer yeah yeah Yeah, I think I think that's probably I think that's probably the reason. I think it's a bit of the uh, form over function and just the general what is needed, you know, like the what's the sort of standard operating procedure. Right, because it's different cleaning in impersonal space where different people come in and every day, like you're saying, like when hotel cleaners, that's an impersonal space. This is a personal space, but. So at least you agree with me on the principle. If you're cleaning somebody's house, don't rearrange shit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be super annoying. I think uh, I think you've hit on the Adam Crawlism. I know you don't listen to ACS, but I've heard it complained before about everything getting put away, quote unquote. But it's just like whatever's the closest place to put it away, things get put away. And so yeah, I <laughs> I, I hear the um, the lesser version of it or the watered down version of these stories on the Adam and Drew show, because I like hearing his back and forth with Adam and Drew. Like, I don't know, for some reason, podcasts with just one person, I don't enjoy as much. Like I love Bill Burr and I'll listen to his show sometimes, but I well, don't you, like you it. You used to listen much. because of Bob Bryant, right? But now that he's gone, it's just, uh, it's just, uh, Max Zapata and, and him for the most part. And yeah, but I hated Bob Bryant. Like I, I thought yeah. he was awful. <laughs> oh, wait, you're not listening to their new LA uh, podcast with Gina and Bald. 
It's an LA podcast. What does that mean? It just makes you hate them. Like I think it's LA. LA Mag Mag is the LA Magazine. I oh, think is, so yeah. they they hired them to do a podcast. Yeah. Oh, interesting, interesting. But yeah, it, it's definitely that Adam Carollaism of the hyper vigilance, right? And yep. the idea of yeah. it, it's not that difficult. And and it's the Adam Carolla thing about waste. And, you know, one of my big things that I agree with him on about you know, the whole environmentalism thing is, you know, that we have such a thing in our culture about environmentalism. But if people would just like clean up after themselves and turn lights off and do the little things to reduce waste and it's waste that actually harms them. Right. It hurts their budget or, you know, it makes it so we have to pay other people more, which then that gets passed on to the consumer. Right. If we would reduce that waste, you know how much it would help the environment. And we don't have to do things like well, ban gas not, stoves. Uh, the only the only pushback I have is the the environment, the religious aspect. It's your environment. How much it improves right. your environment? Right. He's obviously working off of that premise when he says that. Yeah. But yeah. the point being, we're not draining resources as much and creating as much of a dirty environment if we're actually cleaning up after ourselves and acting in a rational way. And that's the way I feel about this. I feel like I'm stuck in a cycle, dude. I feel like every two weeks I have to waste my energy rearranging everything where I shouldn't have to do that in my own home. And that's, that's why it annoys me. That's the Adam Carolla part of it. Okay. Well, that's one. I wonder if the, I wonder if the homeless people in uh, San Francisco have the same problem with their clean ladies. You mean the government? The government workers who come in and... Yeah. <laughs> do they do the same thing? Because that happened when I lived in Orange County. Like, every few months, they would kick the homeless people out of... There's their, like, river behind Angel Stadium. Oh, yeah, and the hazmat crew comes out. Yeah, yeah. I think I told the story on they, the show way back in the day when I worked at Riot Games. And there was this kid just, like, urban camping. I don't... I mean, he was homeless, but I don't... He didn't fit the typical profile of, you know, strung out, you know... Uh, older, you know, person, you know, that's the sort of typical homeless person. Um, and he camped out on, uh, on Bundy for a little while. And, uh, then the hazmat crew came and took all his stuff. So <laughs> I was like, Oh man, right, poor guy. did he go back though? Because the thing is they clear them out behind angel stadium and they do the hazmat cleanup and then they come back. So they are essentially the hazmat yeah. team is like the cleaning lady for yeah. the homeless people behind Angel Stadium. <laughs> exactly, I think so. I, I don't know where he ended up, but uh, but uh, yeah, it, it was definitely the. Uh, I think it's the same thing. That's why I meant. Okay, so you provided one answer for me. So let's go to the second emphasis on life on the midside bit of sort of farce here, which is framed as a question. And this is the question I came to this week because you and I had uh, an interesting experience. So I uh, I finally nuked my Reddit account. Now, I'm not going to lie. I'm still going to lurk because, uh, William, these people are like super obsessive on Reddit, right? So they oftentimes get the news before anyone else because they're just like sort of, yeah. what are they sort of, uh, they're sort of like catfish, and what I mean by that is not like the MTV show definition with Neve Shulman. I mean, catfish eat the algae on the fish tanks. That's why you have them in your fish tank. That's kind of what Redditors are, is yeah. they are scraping the internet constantly to post it before anyone else. Because they want that sweet, sweet karma, that Reddit That's karma right. 
from posting it before anyone else. So oftentimes the news will be there before Twitter or before even a news site has a chance to share that they posted the article, they're already posting it. So oftentimes I get it. And it's also that makes it a good aggregator. So I'm still going to lurk, but I finally nuked my account because I made a post in the Walt Disney World subreddit while reply. And I got attacked and harassed by a Disney cast member. And and what happened was... Yeah, well, that's that's the thing that was crazy. Aren't you a customer? (laughs) That's the thing that I don't get, man. Like, so this is what happened. People were saying um, the beignets at Port Orleans and Walt Disney World are trash, basically. Uh, A Disney cast member was saying this, right? No, I didn't know he was a Disney cast member, and I was not replying to him, but I saw all the... The comments where people were like, oh, just go to Cafe Du Monde in New Orleans. William, have you ever been to New Orleans? I have not. Have you heard of Cafe Du Monde? I have heard of it, though, yes. Okay, well, that tells you how much of a tourist trap it is, correct? Like the fact that you've heard of it and you've never been there? Yeah, yeah. Right. So when I went, I tried it, and they're fine. And that's the same experience I have with the beignets at port orleans and i said that i said that you know the other comments here are bizarre i think they're about equivalent to the beignets in cafe du monde and there are other better beignets in new orleans and then this random cast member replied and said you're lying to yourself and again this is (laughs) i never understood this about social media so i was like I can understand saying you disagree or you think my opinion is wrong, but why are you telling me I'm lying to myself? Like, how would you even know that? And then this then became this person harassing me and just giving nonsensical replies and not addressing the question or anything. Right. And then eventually got to the point that he got his friends involved. And one of his friends said to me, you're the one getting upset about gentrified beignets. Ooh. And, I immediately nuked my account. William, how do you gentrify a beignet? Is it gentrification for property and real estate? I, I prefer gen- gentrification. We've had anti-gentrification, <laughs> right, lately, uh, with all the redheads being replaced with uh, with uh, black actors and actresses, but uh, yeah. mostly actresses. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm pro gentrification, and also I'm pro gentrification because isn't that what the gays are known for? is coming into a neighborhood and, you know, bringing character and life and money for the most part back to a neighborhood. Well, I, I think we can I, I can't remember the name of that. It's been so long. I can't even remember the name of the neighborhood anymore, but the, there was a neighborhood in Baltimore that was that way. The one where 34th street is that uh, became sort of like all the gays sort of moved there and, uh, and uh, they gentrified and possibly even, even gingerfied the neighborhood. Well, we, we can address the way gays change things when we talk about the first movie trailer this week, because that's what stuck out to me there. Uh, um, gingerfication of beignets. So are you saying that Carrot Top should open a beignet shop? Is that what oh, you're saying? man. What the, would that be cultural appropriation? Well, and that's that's what my wife said. She said that, like, calling Disney World beignets gentrified is racist and she said yeah. the reason that that's racist is because it's assuming the people who make beignets in New Orleans are black. And I yeah. said to her, 
Not only is that racist, then it's also ignorant because beignet is a French word and beignets come from France. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. the reason this made me duke by account, William, is beignets are just donuts, aren't they? Aren't they just fried dough? Yeah. Well, and they're snooty because they're French. So I don't know if they're better than donuts, but uh, they're certainly more complicated. Right. And even with donuts, right, you might have some like I prefer Dunkin' over Krispy Kreme. But is there that much of a difference in between all these different donut shops and how they're made? No. And, you know, let's not even get into the the money laundering donut shops that are on every corner in Los Angeles. I don't know how they make any money. (laughs) It's what you just said. It's the money laundering. It's not really the donuts. It's the drugs. Uh, uh, That's why when someone said gentrified donuts or gentrified beignets to me, this took me all the way back to remember the BuzzFeed article about the shaving hair and the Walking Dead and how all the women should have body hair. Yeah. And then I got called yeah. a goofball by the editor. All right, and that that stuck with me because like that really showed me how some people will play word games to to insult you and let you know they're insulting you but to have plausible Well, it goes back to what you said earlier. They're they're trying to get karma, right? Right. They're trying to get uh, uh whatever the uh flair things are. Right. And gentrified beignets has to be one of the most pretentious statements i've ever heard in my entire life (laughs) it's somebody who thinks they're smart trying to act like they're smart and i was like man there really is no value here and then you messaged the group chat and you haven't used your account in nine years and you got banned hold on hold on so i use my account but i hadn't posted a comment or post for over nine years okay the whole Apollo thing, Reddit uh, basically started charging ungodly amounts for their API. So the client I even used to uh, look around Reddit, Apollo, uh, shut down, what, a month ago now? Has it been that long? Um, and so I haven't even logged into Reddit for at least two months, I would say. Whenever the Apollo shut down, I had not literally logged into Reddit since then. Um, and then out of the blue, on Saturday morning, I received an email from the Reddit admins saying my account had been closed for multiple content violations. And I was like, oh, maybe my account was hacked or something because I haven't logged in. I logged in. There were no new posts. So I appealed and said, basically, I haven't posted in nine years. I'm not sure what content violations this would be. And I was immediately told, nope, the the, the appeal was rejected. <laughs> so my account, and my account is old, okay? It's like, old old it's like from the slash dot failure days like I, I mean i don't want to go back in history but after slash i got sold by commander taco like it started to go downhill and a lot of people migrated to reddit back then um this is in the dig and reddit days early early days of uh, figuring out which aggregator was going to be the best and justin much like you i use reddit for the niche communities right like i'm really into apple HomeKit, which is the home automation stuff that i, I like to look at the read post on our, our home kit. And like there were, you know, sometimes I have a programming question or something like that. I tend to use it a lot. You know, I, I tend to use a Google search and say site reddit.com at the end, just to get a better answer than what you might get on stack overflow or, or other sites. Um, so yeah, that, I mean, that's really the only thing I, I really use Reddit for. I don't really use it for news. I've, it's, it's hard to filter because it's got quite a liberal balance since the, uh, since the whole R Trump, uh, exodus um you know you can't really see there, there, there's no really robust debate about things um and so like 
it, it, it just is strange to me. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's very common. There must be some algorithmic reason. Uh, or, or maybe there's some other reason that I don't know. Like, a, you know, I do notice there's a lot of spam accounts being created um, using variations of my email. But uh, I, I don't, you know, it's, again, that's not something that you would necessarily want to trigger on my account, especially since it wouldn't match any of my browser or, you know, my, uh, like browser details or communities I interact with or anything like that. Communities I interact with, I've never even posted. <laughs> or, or even, I was trying to look if I, like, maybe I upvoted something that, like, I don't even upvote. So, like, I was trying to think, like, did I upvote something? But much like you, yesterday after the uh, appeal was denied, I just nuked my account because it was like, okay, well, I guess it'll just be gone then. One yeah, of the interesting things, to- Justin, is after they ban you like that, if they give you a ban, you can no longer delete your posts because I was going to, I was just going to oh. wipe everything. Right. So, and if you delete your account, the posts remain, it just says unknown or whatever, or deleted account or something. So yeah, I couldn't even delete my posts after the ban. So I don't know. So I, I guess there's some old discussions of me and environmentalism and talking on a couple of objectivist forums, talking about art and movies so yeah, all that is uh, still there, but uh, I don't know. Uh, something must have been controversial back then. Whatever it was, it, it was really bad because you immediately got rejected on your appeal. Like they just put you on a list that says even if they appeal, it's so bad that it's an immediate rejection. Yeah, I and again, I have no idea. I have no idea what it could be. Well, and and that's 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 the point here, and that that's the point I, I I ultimately want to drive at, and I don't want to make this just about Reddit. I want to make it social media in general, because you know much has been said, and we've said much about the Reddit hive mind, but deeper than yeah. that, the, like you said, there's not a lot of debate, and it seems the value of Reddit for many people has become just posting whatever your opinion is like people got mad at me because they wanted to post their opinion about how bad the Disney world beignets are, even though it's a Disney world subreddit. So why are you in a Disney world subreddit talking about how bad something at Disney is? And because I went against that, I was attacked, but everybody else wasn't getting any replies or anything. It was just, they posted that. And that's where I turned to social media in general, because I was curious. So I I Googled around a little bit and I found engagement rates and what are considered high engagement rates. So apparently extremely low percentage engagement rates are considered good. So I'm talking like two to 6%. So, you know, if you don't have a lot of followers, if one or two of them replies to you, or I guess engagement is even looking at your stuff, then that's considered a good engagement rate. But even then, right? Like, I have a, you know, I don't want to say a huge amount, but like, and I don't even know if this is comparable, right? I can have up to like 70 people look at one of my Instagram stories when I post something, but none of them say anything and very few reply. And and that's, that's what I don't understand about social media. You know, I, I barely use Twitter now. I mainly only post wrestling stuff or just goofy stuff on Instagram. I don't understand what the value and the enjoyment that most people get out of social media is, William. Because it seems to me nowadays, social media is just the modern form of the old mailer in marketing. The idea that, or the cold call in marketing. 
where you call a bunch of people and if you convert two to six percent, you do well. Or you send out a mailer and if that converts two to six percent of the people you mail it out to, that's good. And it makes sense from a marketing standpoint. You can see why social media would benefit all of these companies. But when we have cell phones where we can call each other and texting when we have group texts, right? The mid-side group text. Discord, right? And even Discord is sometimes just an echo chamber or not even an echo chamber, just an abyss, rather. You can reach out directly, though, right? For my teams, I have group chats. We have the literal teams program. We have Remind through the school. We have Group Me. All of these things where you can talk to people in and you can get a high response rate because that's the explicit purpose is to communicate with each other or you can call people or you can text people or you can, William, meet up with them in person. So I don't understand what value and enjoyment people get from posting you know, a comment on Reddit, a picture on Instagram, mm-hmm. a story on Instagram, a tweet, when the vast majority of people are getting an infinitesimally low engagement rate. Is it really, William, just the seeing your content posted on a platform as if somehow that makes it more important than if it was just thought in your head, seeing it externally rather than internally? Is it a trick? Right, because um, reflection of your values back to you in reality is a valuable psychological, right? That's psychological visibility. Are we tricking ourselves into believing we have psychological visibility when we don't? Is that what's going on with social media? I think that's part of it. I think I think it's good to contrast it with something like Instagram, right? Where that's sort of made by design to be a very like quote unquote female space, right? It's all about validation and getting those likes and interactions, right? Um, and it's very visual and um, right, and, and that's but that's part of my validation, point. right? I'm lumping that together and I'm saying, are you really getting validation from that? Because if you look at the percentage and the actual rate, it's extremely low. Yeah, I think I think you have a good point there. I think I think that. The, the other thing that really pops into my head, and we were kind of talking about this before, um, before we started recording, is I think a lot of the stuff that we sort of traditionally got from Reddit has moved to, to X, to Twitter, um, especially recently, you know, with the whole uh, liberalization of the content moderation policy. It's kind of shifted from a very female space where it's like, am I safe? You know, am I safe posting my opinions? Meaning like there's no pushback or anything, right? Like the only my opinions, I want to be safe. So I only want to post my opinions and I only want to see opinions that agree with me. Instead, it's, it's being changed, I think, through the, you know, improvements in the content moderation policies and the whole payment for engagement is being changed a little bit towards more of a debate, Right, more of people interacting asymmetrically, which is really what Twitter really was about all along, was your ability to you as an individual to have a conversation, to be involved in a conversation with someone that you would never be able to contact in real life. Right. And um and I think, I think it, uh, I, go ahead. I think that in an ideal world, that's what Twitter would be. 
right? Mm -hmm. But that's what I'm pushing back on, is that it seems like people aren't interested in that. They're not interested in the conversation. They're just interested in saying, oh, look, there's my opinion. I made it. I made it. I put it there. There it is. And then they move on with their lives. And I'm asking what the value is there. I don't think there is much value there, Uh, at least for me. I I don't know what... I guess I haven't given the tremendous amount of thought to what other people get from that value other than just sort of narcissistic fuel. Um, but, you know, I think we've all had that person in real life, Justin, that just likes to argue the contrarian point, right? And so maybe it's some of that as well. Uh, I think I have pretty good, I know, I know I've still, uh, I'm one of the few holdouts still having a public uh, account. Um, I don't really post all that much. I do retweet a lot. Um, and, uh, but you know, when I do have interactions, I've had some good, good interactions with folks, you know, like folks that I wouldn't normally, I think run into in real life. Uh, you know, I've, I've had some Twitter exchanges with, uh, Scuba Steve and with, uh, um, think before you sleep and some other like YouTubers, um, some folks from different gaming communities that I'm involved in. Um, and, you know, my feed, I've tailored my feed to uh, folks who tend to make good arguments about different topics I'm interested in, the, the, sort of regardless of their political um, spectrum. And that's how I make Twitter useful for me. I don't know. I, there might be other ways to do it. I'm not saying my, my way is good or perfect. Uh, but I think you can get value out of it. I, I just don't know that a lot of people are getting value out of it. You know, that's why we get the touch grass uh, saying, right? Right. Well, and then what you're saying also raises the question of what we always say, you know, Michael Bay saying it's the same 50 people on the internet. How many people are actually ignoring the internet or just lurking? And the internet and the way it's designed right now is attracting a certain personality type that, as you said, likes to be contrarian or has a a narcissism that they just like seeing their opinion up there and it makes them feel important to see it up there. Oh yeah. There's a lot of that. Yeah. So just something to reflect on. And of course, when we're Mm -hmm. reflecting on narcissism, now we can turn to Donald Trump. All right. He was indicted. Multi-time winner of Narcissist of the Year. Multi-time winner of Narcissist of the Year. Considered renaming the award after him. And along with those awards came multiple indictments. This time he was indicted for the quote-unquote insurrection. And before we even go into the the indictment, William, I said quote-unquote insurrection because there's something that really bothers me about the... Ter- use of the term insurrection and, and we can argue whether it was in a, uh, you know they were trying to have an insurrection or not but isn't it an only isn't it only an insurrection if it's successful so shouldn't they be saying the attempted insurrection like calling yeah. it the insurrection like makes it seem like they overthrew the government for a period of time doesn't it kind of does yeah well does well, that you- mean star trek insurrection was uh, shouldn't be called that because it was a uh... It was a failure. A failure. I, I don't acknowledge Star Trek Insurrection. Do you? <laughs> uh, no, but like, do you say the coup? Like, we were like, oh, it was a coup? Or we were like, it was an attempted coup? Do you see what I'm saying? It's only a coup if it's successful. I don't know it. Yeah. I don't know that even calling it a coup is right. I Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's it's The framing is 
is it's a purposely inflammatory framing Correct. because uh, here's the thing. I'm, this is not a what about is it? What happened in Portland was a insurrection. They declared independence from the United States. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know how you can look at what Trump did and what happened in Portland and not see parallels at the very least and not see that one has clear charges of treason that should be filed and the other is a little more murky. Right. And and what's being obscured here, and this is the real reason I'm bringing up this point about the use of the terminology, is we're obscuring the real issues that are going on here in order to have a political bent to things and to push a certain agenda. And obviously the agenda that's being pushed is the idea of Republicans bad, Democrats good, the left-wing ideology, the social justice ideology, the woke ideology, whatever you want to say. Oh, yeah. the left, uh, when the left does things, it's just a mostly peaceful protest. Right. When the right does something that was literally mostly peaceful, right? Then the you know the only death being the the, the capital police shooting uh, uh, that uh, navy uh, uh, lady. Then that's that's an insurrection, right? And calling it that obscures the point because. Trump did fan the fl- fires. There's no, there's no argument about that with it, with his rhetoric, and he made it so it was bigger than it would be, without a doubt. And we're obscuring that point, and we're obscuring his culpability and why he's culpable in it by calling it an insurrection, because then we're focused on the people and what happened. We're not focused on what the root issue is with Trump, which to me is the same root issue that the people of Antifa or the George Floyd riots or Portland or CHOP in Seattle. It's the same issue they have, but they just don't have the figurehead that Trump is. But having the figurehead of Trump gives us a person that we can talk about and identify the issue so that we can identify it in these more sort of, and I hate to use this word because it's a pretentious word, but it it fits here in these more nebulous situations where you can't find Mm -hmm. one person and it's a group. And what I'm referring to is it's, it's best in an article here that, uh, you know, Daniel, former co-host, co-host emeritus, Daniel sent me that really gets to the heart of this because the heart of this is not the indictments here. The, the, the heart of this is the following. Here's the headline. Trump's election lies in the Republicans who corrected him. I'm going to read a few paragraphs here. As Donald Trump, this is from the Washington Post, by the way. As Donald Trump sought to overturn the results of the 2020 election, a chorus of top Republicans told him repeatedly that his claims of widespread voter fraud were false. The pushback sits at the heart of the federal indictment, brought against Trump this week in the Justice Department investigation of his attempts to cling to power. Special counsel Jack Smith is setting out to show that Trump knew he was lying when he unleashed his torrent of election falsehoods that culminated with the January 6, 2021 riot at the U.S. Capitol, an important part for convicting Trump on the four charges he's facing. Side note, I am fine with that paragraph. There is one part of it about the way the counsel Jack Smith is 
characterizing Trump that I think misses the point. And that's what we're going to discuss. But William, do you have a problem calling it a riot at the U.S. Capitol? No, I think that's that's probably fair. Correct. I think that is the perfect way to say it. So to read two more paragraphs to that end. The indictment lays out a drumbeat of episodes, many of them already public, when Trump was told that bogus statements about fraudulent ballots being counted or votes being flipped to Joe Biden were false. They came from a range of people in his orbit, including White House lawyers, administration appointees, state GOP officials, and his campaign staffers. Trump has denied wrongdoing. This goes, this statement, Trump has denied wrongdoing, goes to the person classifying him as a liar. Those, that's what I'm saying is those two statements are what we're going to discuss here. The indictment references at least nine administration officials, among others, who told Trump that the election was not stolen or that his schemes to remain in the White House were untenable. The officials are not named in the indictment, but some of their identities can be discerned by matching descriptions of their activities in the indictment with public reporting. Then the article goes on to identify how those people were, obviously one of them being... The most notable being Mike Pence, right? That came out right after the election happened, and that was one of the big things. This is the big part of the story here, William, right? Because one of the things we always say is to be an independent thinker, you must go on your own judgment, not the judgment of other people. Mm -hmm. But there is a line. There is a line. And the line here is, Clearly enough, people saw that the election wasn't actually stolen. But this is the point I'm making. I don't think Trump believed he was lying. And what I mean by that is, I think he's so narcissistic that he thinks the election was stolen and that all the other people were wrong and are too stupid to see it. Because how could he not be elected president? And he knows better than everybody else. And that raises a really, really tough point psychologically. And that's why I'm entering narcissism into this discussion, this conversation. You actually could argue this goes back to the the last question as well about social media, because when we're talking about CHOP and the riots and Antifa and Portland, right, they're also convinced that their judgment of reality is so much better than everybody else is to the point that they're causing literal damage and harm. So where is that line? Because you have yeah. to live based on your own judgment of reality. But this is an example where Trump was doing that, but he was clearly so far gone. So is it a matter of sort of, you have to make sure you're healthy before you trust your own judgment of reality And most people aren't doing that anymore. I think that's what it is, right? You have to like, you have to ensure that you're connected to reality. And I think it's, I I don't think it's unreasonable. I think it's wrong, Justin, but I don't think it's unreasonable to conclude that the election was stolen. I think Scott Adams made a great argument. He's like, if I was the defense lawyer, I, you know, for, for Trump, this is an easy slam dunk case. And he, you, you know, he outlines a persuasive argument and it sort of goes like this. You know, we know every institution is corrupted. Uh, every human institution is corrupted over time. Um, the, uh, you know, the idea that voting is somehow not, uh, that say somehow perfect or, and not 
uh, uh, applicable to this, uh, this sort of law of human nature is, uh, is absurd. Um, so it's a reasonable belief to hold, to say that the election is stolen uh, or was stolen. It may be wrong, but it's a reasonable belief. And if you have this reasonable belief, what did he actually advocate, right? Did he advocate for violence? Did he advocate for the overthrow of uh, the American Constitution? You know, that's basically the outline, a very rough outline of his arguments in a bunch of tweets. But Justin, I think you can kind of well, see no, this, just, right? Hold like, on, but, but, before you continue, uh, I just want to say, you know, I think it's all corrupt. And I would argue every oh, yeah. election is stolen. And what yeah, I mean by exactly. every election is stolen is I don't think it's about the American people anymore. I think it's about oh, the yeah, bureaucrats it's about the and government. System. And yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. It's, it's, it's the, uh, every, every election law is the, re, uh, what did Rush Limbaugh call it? The, uh, incumbent reelection act. Every time there was a new campaign finance law or, or, or new, uh, election law, he's like, oh, this is just the latest, uh, incumbent reelection act. And right. So, so I think so, that's the direction Scott Adams is going towards with his argument. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think Trump was going there. No, I don't think Trump was going there. Right. But again, this is in the jury. Right. You're saying that because you I think his point was you need to have the jury see that that position in general has been so maligned, but it actually is perfectly reasonable, whether it's correct or not. It's not a a absurd, crazy person uh, point of view. Right. Yes, I'm with you. So. So I think I think given that, um, I think I think the way to test that is to get back, you know, get back connected to reality. Right. And that's what a lot of folks have done and continue to do. And I think there's a lot of improvements that could be made, you know, in elections. But like that's that's not even what we're talking about here. We're talking about here following your own judgment. And I think yeah. even if you don't have a perfect connection to reality, you still have to follow your own judgment. Right. But with the understanding of if your judgment is wrong and you do wrong, that your intentions don't matter. Right. And what I mean yeah. by that is uh, Daniel rightly pointed me to the, the mens rea requirement uh, in law that we have. And it's so interesting. One of the things that blows my mind constantly about all of these things, William, is things happen and it's just like, oh, yeah, we already figured that out. If we would just listen to what was already there, then we wouldn't have a problem. But, of course, we're living in this this time where we even embrace Marxism to a point that we constantly have to destroy all knowledge and we constantly have to destroy all systems and uh, rebuild something. And it's a constant cycle of a recalibration, destruction, recalibration, destruction, right? That's, that's the Marxist cycle that we forget what we've already made. And, you know, here's a quote about what, what that is. The mens rea requirement, the mens rea requirement is premised upon the idea that one must possess a guilty state of mind and be aware of his or her misconduct. However, defendant need not know that their conduct is illegal to be guilty of a crime. Rather, the defendant must be conscious of the facts that make his conduct fit that definition of the offense. So we can use that in this example of Trump, right? Like he, he may not think he's guilty, but he could certainly be shown that the facts make his conduct fit the definition of the offense. And I, I don't think we do that enough nowadays, right? I mean, think of all the riots, right? All of those people. <laughs> you thought, don't think those, you don't think those rioters thought that, they were doing wrong or that or sorry 
understood what they were doing, that they were committing acts of, of violence. Right. And that's exactly my point. They know that the facts make their conduct the definition of the offense. But I do believe some of them narcissistically believe that they are fighting back against the system. And so that even though it fits the definition of the offense, it's not morally wrong. But that's why that's in the law, because we have right. We have the idea that you can be a conscientious objector. Has that not existed throughout human history or throughout American history? But we're away from that now. And that's what I'm saying about where where is the line of trusting your own judgment? And how do we properly address people who are trusting their judgment, but their judgment is so flawed? In response to all of the Antifa, the chop, everything in Portland, all the riots, we did not fall back upon this idea of facts that make the conduct the definition of the offense. Yeah. We took I mean, this goes back to punch a Nazi, right? I've had this discussion yes. with one of my friends. Yes. This goes back to punch a Nazi. If you literally believe they are Nazis, then you, you twist yourself in this uh, philosophical pretzel where you say the initiation force is okay. Right. And that's fine. Punch them if you want. But Not even that it's okay. Understand. Sorry, that it's morally required. Right. Right, exactly. And that's fine. If that's what your judgment says, go ahead, punch a Nazi. But you must also be able to hold in your head the idea that the facts are that you initiated force. And the law hasn't changed. Now, maybe you want the law changed. You want to say never initiate force except against an, a Nazi. But you have to recognize at this time, and we don't do that anymore as a society. Because of victim culture, which you say, William, enables narcissism and cluster B personality, we just make it so the facts don't matter anymore. So it doesn't matter if, as you say, if your judgment is aligned with reality anymore, you you don't have to be calibrated with reality anymore. And now we see the problem. Yep. And now we you see how own, Trump... You make your own cloud uh, of disconnected things and then just act. Right. And... Making your own cloud of disconnecting things and just acting. Have you not just described Trump? Yeah. So explain to me how Trump is any different from any of the people he is supposedly fighting against to make America great again. Not very. Not so I'm going to vote for Trump, right? <laughs> I, <laughs> next, time someone, next time someone says I sound like a Trump supporter, I'm just going to play it in this segment. It's going to be very, very hard for me to ever vote again. All I will say is, unless DeSantis, and I did hear that supposedly he just fired his whole campaign staff, staff, so unless he somehow changes his entire campaign and becomes the nominee, that's the only way I might vote. <laughs> I, I would have oh, to man. see very, very many things from him to vote, but there, there's nothing else that would make me vote. So, yeah. But when we're talking about that... I, I, we have to go towards the other big thing this week. Did you hear about this battle between the College Board and Florida this week? No, I hadn't heard anything until I saw the show notes. Okay. So the College Board said that Florida has effectively banned AP psychology. This is, again, an extension of the parental rights and education bill. But again, I think the main point is being missed here because this is becoming an issue all about, you know, teaching gender and teaching 
sexuality and do the parents have the right to do that? The schools have the right to do that. Uh, is there a transgenocide going on? Right. It's all of these discussions again, but there's a greater point being missed here. So I'm going to read some of the college board statement. We are sad to have learned that today the Florida Department of Education has effectively banned AP psychology in the state by instructing Florida superintendents that teaching foundational content on sexual orientation and gender identity is illegal under state law. The state has said districts are free to teach AP psychology only if it excludes any mention of these essential topics. The AP course asks students to, quote, describe how sex and gender influence socialization and other aspects of development, close quote. This element of the framework is not new. Gender and sexual orientation have been a part of AP psychology since the course launched 30 years ago. So they continue to jump ahead. To be clear, any AP psychology course taught in Florida will violate either Florida law or college requirements. Therefore, we advise Florida districts not to offer AP psychology until Florida reverses their decision and allows parents and students to choose to take the full course. We have heard from teachers across Florida who are heartbroken. They are being forced to drop AP and instead teach alternatives that have been deemed legal because the course excludes these topics. And by the way, from what I've heard, like this topic for AP psychology is like one question on the AP test and it's like one day in the classroom. So consider how minimal this is. But this is where we get back to the rules and we get back to political grandstanding. So I have so many questions, Justin. (laughs) Okay. Well, let me tell you what I do know, and then you can ask questions. Okay. Okay. Because I I went down the rabbit hole because I teach in Florida. And obviously, I think it's important to teach about the psychology of sex and gender and socialization and development. I think all of those things are important, you know, and our our, our stance on the idea of cutting the body over fixing the mind is, is well determined. So obviously, if we think fixing the mind matters, psychology matters. And As a teacher in Florida, I want to be able to respond to people say stuff. So they're saying superintendents instructed that teaching this content is bad and that there's a law against it. So I did my research and this is what I found. There is a rule by the Department of Education and the rule says the following. Shall not intentionally provide classroom instruction to students in grades 4 through 12 on sexual orientation or gender identity unless such instruction is either expressly required by state academic standards or as adapted in rule, and then there's another number there, or as part of a reproductive health course or health lesson for which a student's parent has the option to have his or her student not attend. So this is a rule by the Department of Education. And I'm like, well, how can the Department of Education make this rule? Well, if you click on the website where the rule is, flrules.org, which is an official Florida site here, it says that this rule is based on HB 1069, an education bill that is an extension of, remember we talked about this before, the Parental Rights and Education Bill. And this is the clause. Classroom education by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in pre-kindergarten and kindergarten through grade eight, except when required by, and then a bunch of rules. And then if such instruction is provided in grades nine through 12, the instruction must be a three or in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for standards 
in accordance with state standards. So, William, the actual bill does not say 9 through 12. The Board of Education passed this you can't teach it through 4 through 12 thing. And to me, what we're missing here is this is the problem with government. And this is a perfect example of why we shouldn't have government involved in education. They just make this decision for everybody, not at the elected official level, but they're they're the level below the elected officials. And they're using that law to pass whatever personal agenda they have. Remember what I just said in the last bit of farce about how it's all about the bureaucrats and it's all corrupt because the bureaucrats are reinforcing their power. Well, this is another example of the bureaucrats. The people in the Department of Education are making decisions legally. Isn't that what elected officials are for? Yeah, yeah, I think you have a great point, Justin. I I want to, I'm going to steel man a little bit of the other side. I think if you, a, a different reading of this basically just says the parents get to decide if the, if the student gets uh, gender ideology training. And in, in everything I read here, I don't see where it would ban AP psychology as long as the parents give permission to the student to attend that kind of class. So that, that, that just a little steel man there. That, that, but I the wish it was that. that. I wish it was that. Hold on. I wish it was that. But the Florida Department of Education bill says shall not intentionally provide classroom instruction to students in grades four through 12 on sexual orientation or gender identity. Unless such instruction is either explicitly required by state standards. So or that's a shell. Or is part of a reproductive health course. I, yeah, I know, but the or right. is there. Or is part of a uh, reproductive health course or health lesson for which students and parents have the design. So, so right. yes. But AP I, psychology I, I, is not a health, reproductive a health, health course or health yeah. lesson. Exactly. Exactly. Like I said, I was just steel manning the the other side, but I think I like, I, I, I come back to my first statement that you were. 100% oh, I agree right. with you. I think, look, I think they should have written this rule and said, if they want to learn about this, they sign a waiver. You're going to get your parents yep. to sign a waiver. So if you want to be an AP psych, you yep. sign a waiver. We move on. That's what I think they should have done. If it's really the parental rights and education, that's what I think they should have done. Yep. Right, continue. Yep. I agree. So I want to make a larger point though, which is go ahead. We have a lot of projection here from the AP psychology people. Justin, is do you think the word gender used 30 years ago is the same one that is on the AP test today? No. I I think you're 100% correct again. That's two. The anti-concept of gender that we have today, that it's all a social construct that has no connection with, you know, evolutionary psychology is wrong. Justin, do you think the AP test uh, talks about sex assigned at birth and other complete anti-concepts? I bet it does, right? Today, you cannot talk. If, you, if you're on the sex, sex and uh, evolutionary psychology of sex sort of side, that all of those things about sex differences in humans, that cannot be taught. It is a, it is a verboten subject, Right. Uh, now, the researchers are still researching, right? And, and, and there's little pockets of things being done. I think there's uh, Claire Lehman and a couple other folks uh, at Quillette have written stories about this, that there are they, – they have taken to like basically writing their abstract in like social justice language to make sure that they're not caught and then actually doing the research and the conclusions being completely different than what's in the abstract. 
right? You see this happening in environmental science too, right? Like if you, you have to talk about global warming or sorry, climate change or what is it? Boiling earth is what we're at now. I forgot how far we're down the rabbit hole on that. You have to talk about that in your abstract in order to do your actual science later, right? And the same thing is happening right now on research about evolutionary psychology of sex and sex uh, differences and all the stuff about how sex and gender are interrelated, which they we know they are, right? Um, so I don't think I don't think today that this is one of those instances of the left being mad at the pushback they have caused that we have criticized. So we're allowed to talk about this part now that they have caused. The right is uh, the right is coming back and pushing back against this stuff, but they've completely redefined all these concepts and yes. they're disconnected from reality. I agree with everything you're saying. My point is all of this is enabled because of government's involvement here, because both of them I am an are trying to abolitionist. argue. I am an abolitionist. Uh, I'm a minarchist. This goes back to my whole thing of. I think the next great revolution is everything will become more and more local. And the most local thing yeah. you can do is have a de- yeah. right decentralization. And the most local thing you can do is send your kid to a local schoolhouse that's run only by the people in that schoolhouse. And you're, you debate with them about what things should be taught and how they should be taught. And then you know what your kid is learning or not. Do you understand what I'm saying? Rather than yep. having a board of education, either federally or on the state level, declaring what should be taught in every building, in every city, in every, as I've just learned, non-incorporated area. The school I, t- I teach in is in the city of Kissimmee, but apparently I live in a non-incorporated area, which is kind of awesome. I just learned that. but. They're deciding, whereas why are the people not directly involved? Why aren't the this? parents deciding? Yeah. Why aren't the parents deciding what they're being taught? What their kids well, are this taught? goes back to the social why media. Why is it so this... controversial to have the parents decide it? Right. Right. Because it goes back to government involvement, but then it goes back to the other wing of this that we always talk about, the idea of comfort culture and the idea of Netflix and McDonald's. It's a lot easier, William... And we even see this on the corporate level. Oh, we're just going to send our production to another country. Is that really the most rational way? It may be cheaper, but is that the most rational way to achieve your values is to have your production somewhere where you can't monitor it and know what's going on with it? Is that not the same thing as just parents sending their kids to school and saying, oh, you teach them? Because it's easier. It's the Netflix and McDonald's of parenting. Oh, well, you just take the kid and handle it. But then if you do something wrong, we'll get mad at you. I wish we had the McDonald's of teaching. Can you imagine for for a cheap price getting someone just literate in a quick quick fashion? <laughs> well, maybe I'm the McDonald's of teaching. But <laughs> the point is, once again here, hopefully what you've seen with the farce here and how this all connects is I think, William, I think we did a good job with the farce showing how the issues being talked about are just the surface and they're not really what the issues are. People are missing what the major things are here. All right. Anything else you want to add before we, we move on here? Nah, let's get into it. All right. Uh, we're going to do a quick movie review and then some trailer takedown in the hopeful romantic with JML.
As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. Just go to the any or the midside.com, then go to any episode link, and in there you will find the Discord join code or join link, and that way you can help witness the farce. You can share some farce with us that you'd like us to talk about, just like Midsider Fitzpatrick, comma, Lucid shared the uh, teen takeover in the South Loop in Chicago, or you can you know, give some thoughts on the trailers. I really loved hearing uh, one of the Midsiders talk about the Wonka trailer. And hopefully, where's that person talking about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Thought you were going to pop back in to Discord and talk about it. Share your thoughts on watching the classic movie. Now, let's talk about some movies. So after the big blockbuster of Barbieheimer, William, we've now sort of calmed down. Although, funny story, we were walking in to see The Meg 2, the movie I'm going to review this week. And there were influencers, and I know there were influencers because they brought a fancy camera. Women dressed in their pink Barbie dresses, and they were taking pictures in front of the big Oppenheimer sign. You know how they don't just do the posters anymore? They do like the big 3D signs and everything? They were taking pictures yeah. in front of that. So does that not prove that sort of Barbie's become a meme as a movie more than it has... People are actually seeing it because it's a good movie. It's more of a fad and a trend. Yep. Good, good marketing. Getting, getting those, getting those women and uh, increasingly gays into the movie theater. Oh, well, we'll talk about that with the first trailer. And I've teased that twice now. That's because my reaction to the first trailer, I was just like, what? This is like, what? All right. But first, the other what was the Meg 2. So The Meg 2, The Trench, is the sequel to the movie The Meg, starring Jason Statham about a giant shark. I never saw the movie, but if given the opportunity, I would have seen it. So there was nothing else this, out this week unless I wanted to see the new Ninja Turtles movie, but that movie, William, I think we can agree the new Ninja Turtles looks beyond woke, so it's not worth wow. watching. It's the most, uh, you know, we've talked about the uglification of character yes. design. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Especially April O'Neil. And I don't mean about her race, although there is the issue of why are we making her black? But then also, like... Just making her ugly. And, yeah. and I, I, like, I know we're getting sidetracked, but I saw some of the art, uh, like, the, you know, how they do the behind the scenes, like how it got drawn, sort of, like, progression of the art. And it, it's, it, it was even ugly to start with, and they made it uglier. It's yeah, so weird. Remember when years ago I complained about this with Oh, Zendaya? and it's anti it's anti gingrification too. Man, it, it just circles back to everything. Yeah. Yeah, April O'Neil was probably the most ginger character in Ninja Turtles. Of course they replaced her. But remember when I complained about this with Zendaya in Spider Man Homecoming years ago? Yeah. Once yeah. again, ahead of the curve. Ahead of the curve. But so we saw the Meg two instead, because uh, it's Jason Statham and Giant Sharks, right? Here's my one-sentence review. The Meg 2 is a weird hybrid of genres that feels like two different movies stitched together in the middle. And very quickly, because I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. So this is a no-bro. Second lowest rating. The first half of the movie is like a sci-fi movie, except set underwater. There's a tech company, and they're going to explore the depths of the ocean that's never been explored before. They go down in their ships. Their ships crash. They have to walk. Uh, through the ocean in their suits 
That William, that all sounds like it could just be set in space, right? Except it, it's underwater. Haven't we seen sci-fi movies like that before where they have to do a spacewalk in their suits to get to the yeah. space station yeah. in order to survive? So yep. it was kind of a cool sci-fi movie like that. Of course, it also had sort of elements of uh, Steven Seagal environmental movies uh, on, what was, what was the movie, On Something Ground? Can you look that up real quick? Steven Seagal, On Something Ground? It yeah. It's the oil movie. I forget what it's called. But there are elements of that where he's an eco-warrior. But I was willing to let that go because whatever. On Deadly Ground. On Deadly Ground, yeah. So there's sort of like elements of On Deadly Ground in this where it starts out with like him fighting like people dumping oil and toxic waste into the ocean and Jason, he being Jason Statham, he's this eco-warrior. And then it becomes a sci-fi movie. But the sci-fi movie is the villains are trying to take over and sabotage so they can take over the company. The tech company. But what happens is they accidentally tear a hole. There's this, this layer called the thermocline, which keeps all the the giant sharks and the giant monsters underwater. They're deep in the trench and they can't pass the thermocline, which is super cold. But they accidentally punch a hole in that. And so the second half of the movie, when they get back to the surface, is just... Jason Statham and all the good guys fighting the sharks and the bad guys off of a place called Fun Island. It becomes an action comedy. It's like two different movies. And like it's it's like a completely nonsensical action comedy. They're like sort of raptors attacking people. And then because it's like 20,000 leagues under the sea, there's like a giant squid that you only see the arms of. You never see the whole creature at once. It's It's just the whole thing's bizarre. So... I guess they made this because they're like, well, we made money on the first one. Let's make money on the second one. I I don't know. It's it's just not worth watching. Is, I don't think is anything... Jason Statham like in tax trouble or something? Why is he taking such just random roles? I would push back He's on that. Except we, right. And like I was saying, I would push back on that, except when Bruce Willis did it, there it was a sign that something was wrong. So who knows? I, Does he have I don't answer? Think... What's going on here? And this just, I mean, hey, I don't ask a lot of my Jason Statham movies, but uh, Making Sense is kind of one of them. Yeah, and it makes sense in the sort of sense of there are giant sharks. And remember when, like, Kong versus Godzilla came out and it was about environmentalism? And then we had all of the Pacific Rim movies and it was about environmentalism. It's still the same thing where they're using that blueprint and they're like, humans are evil because they're fucking with uh, the environment and that's going to make the environment destroy them. It's, as you said, right, you love to say social justice is religion. Well, environmentalists treat it the same way. Yeah. The, the environment is like God. And if we don't obey the environment, it is going to punish us. Now, I do believe that nature to be obeyed, or nature, what is the, the statement? Nature to be commanded must be obeyed. Right. Nature to be commanded must be obeyed. I do agree with that, but I don't think it's going to punish you. These movies, though, are all about nature punishing you, sort of like a like like a god. And it's taking that sort of angle. I mean, they even have the evil people. The reason they're trying to take over the company is they're mining a substance deep in the trench. Right. That, I, dude, I literally thought that during the movie. It took everything not to scream it, but I didn't want to ruin the experience for people. So... Yeah, you can see why this movie 
not worth seeing. But again, it's it's tough for like I go to theaters and unless it's as bad as Booksmart, it's never like I had a bad time. I like I hate the Kim. Um, wow, I can't her name. Who's the actress from Australia who does the ad for AMC? My brain is farting right now. Oh, from uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. I, I don't remember her name. She, is she even relevant today? She's in the ad. <laughs> I can't. I literally cannot remember her. I hate that ad, but like I agree with it. Like I think that there's something social about the experience of seeing a movie with a bunch of people. So Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman. I don't. Oh, because the the Kim. That's where I got the Kidman. Is Kim? Yeah, yeah, Nicole Kidman. Thank you. My brain was having a problem. I'm getting old. Okay, so that's a movie that came out. Let's talk about some movies that are going to come out. I guess maybe emphasis on come on the first movie. Uh, I usually post the trailers for Trailer Takedown in the Discord the Saturday before we record. So you can watch them whenever you want. Maybe you watch them before the episode. Maybe you watch them after the episode. Or maybe you alternate. You pause the episode. You watch a trailer. We talk about it. You pause the episode. You watch a trailer. We talk about it. You go like that. However you want. It's up to you. Trailer Takedown. First trailer. Dicks the Musical is an A24 movie. Now, hold on a second. I want you to think, Midsiders, what an A24 musical would look like. Because musicals are sort of intentionally romantic in a way. They're over the top, right? They don't have a lot of grittiness to them. They're not naturalistic. So what exactly would a Dix the Musical, would an A24 musical look like if you guess super gay you're right this this movie seems to take every stereotype of a musical and turns it up to 10 and this is what's very confusing to me about this one of the first things they show is a man singing about how big his dick is in satisfying women except he is the most stereotypical effeminate gay man I've ever seen in my entire life. I don't know if he's acting that way on purpose or they cast someone like that on purpose, but it's, it's so jarring to me that that is who is singing that song. They're so at odds with each other. I would have actually been more comfortable if that had been a gay man singing about uh, satisfying gay men with his giant penis. Because it at least would have made sense in reality. The rest of the, the trailer kind of follows suit with that. Where I'm like, what? what is going Like, this is being made? This is like a real movie that like... It, it, it plays almost like an SNL skit. So, I mean, it's good to see A24 going in a different style. But you see how they're still bringing their ideology in both the sense of philosophy and politics into their movies. Tackle. Tackle. Wow. This trailer was interesting, but there is no way that this movie could be good. Like, the only thing I can think of, Justin, 
is like you said, this reminded you of SNL skit. Like this would be an incredible parody, but you know, a 24 is incapable of doing that. Right. If this is a musical parody, I think there would be some merit to it, but that there, like, there's no way that, that, that that's what this is. I mean, I guess I could see myself watching this movie to laugh at it, but you talked about the incredibly gay person pretending to be, uh, a, you know, singing a musical, being super effeminate and talking about how awesome he is uh, with his giant dick. But even the premise of, oh, they're secretly twins and they're trying to get their parents back together. Why would, why would adult men want to even do that? Right? Like it, it's, it, it's, it's just nonsensical as well. What is even the plot here? Is that the plot? Um, and it, it, it's, it's like they took stepbrothers and kind of merged it with the parent trap Except for their adults, I I don't know, man. This is this is weird. But uh, it's like I, uh, okay, know, it's kind of- I'm gonna hold on. I'm gonna add to that. It's stepbrothers meets the Parent Trap meets gay porn. Yes, yes. I I guess is this Oscar bait? Are they going for the musical Oscar? I don't know, but goddamn, is it? Ugh. Ugh. Tackle. Second trailer. King of Killers stars Frank Grillo. He plays sort of like the world's ultimate hitman, and he challenges all a bunch of other killers to kill him. It sort of comes across as like Saw meets John Wick. Uh, it seems to have a low production budget. And beyond the low production budget, my main issue here is that... Why? why? Like, is it sort of like... He thinks he's so untouchable that no one can kill him. And is he charging them money? Is he doing it because he thinks he's so untouchable? He charges the money because it's free money for him or he just enjoys killing people. So he's looking for a, a, a way to, to do it. That's more fun, right? He's challenging himself. I just, I just don't understand the motivation for running this game. Now I'm going to assume that that motivation is going to be more revealed. And because of that, and because of the production value, now again, I say the falling rating, but just like with the Meg 2, if there's nothing else in theaters that week, I would choose to see this. But to me, this is sort of like the definition of a Netflix and Hug because there's a lot to like, but there's some sort of warning signs that make you not want to go to see it in theaters. Netflix and Hug. So there's a lot of action. I like that. But I don't know, Justin, this didn't, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with the lack of motivation. Like, I don't know. It's like bad guys being bad. I, I don't know. That's, I, I have a low bar for action, but that's not enough for me, Justin. I think I, this is a very light tackle. Tackle. Third trailer. The Kill Room, William, shows that you're setting yourself up for four tackles here. Just FYI. Because... This has a good cast. Uma Thurman, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Joe Manganiello, which that's Joe Manganiello is sort of like John Hamm for me that when I see him in a movie, it makes me go, oh, he must have picked this for a reason because he tends to be pretty selective with his movie choices and tends to make good choices. And for a long time, this movie looks like it's making fun of modern art. It's the idea that Uma Thurman apparently bought, I'm assuming, drugs from Samuel Jackson 
but because she's a struggling artist, she can't pay for her drugs. So he uses her art gallery as a front, and he has Joe Manganiello start to sell paintings, and they jack up the prices or the sale prices to make it so they can money launder, which that that's a pretty good premise. And especially the idea of commenting on modern art and how like he's making terrible art, but it's selling for a lot of money. And then it actually becomes legitimate. Like if they had ended the trailer there, I would have been like, Oh, okay. Like, all right, this, this looks like it could be worthwhile because there's a lot going on here. But there was one line in this trailer that I was just like, all right, I'm out. At the end of the trailer, they have Uma Thurman say to Samuel Jackson, are you really mansplaining money laundering to me? And I was out. That told me enough I needed to see about the enough that I needed to know about the writers of this movie and the production team of this movie to know they're not going to handle this subject matter properly. Tackle. Tackle. Yeah, I I hear you. I hear you. I don't know, Justin. Is that just a throwaway line or is that just integrated throughout the plot? I mean, to, to, to have someone as talented as Uba Thurman and then have her say that line is just a, a, a cinema sin. Um, yeah, I, I, think, I think this movie has a lot of potential, but I don't know anything about this Shout Studio to even judge uh, whether that's just a throwaway social justice line to put in the trailer or if that's part of the movie, uh, the whole idea of the movie, and then it's just written in into the fabric of the movie. Um, but yeah, I, I'm with you. Like this is this that that took it from interesting to pretentious. So yeah, tackle tackle. And I love Uma so much. Final trailer: The Exorcist Believer is the sequel to The Exorcist, and this time. Two kids are possessed. Now, I don't remember the plot of the original Exorcism. I remember some of the imagery. It was, or the Exorcist. I saw it when I was so young. And I will say that, and when I say so young, I don't mean I was like a child. I mean, I'm old at this point, okay? All right? I just, I can't remember everything I've seen. So, I can't comment on a lot of this idea of, oh, it's a continuation, blah, blah. I have no idea how much this connects and, you know, is it worthwhile they brought the lady back? I can say that, did we really need this? Did we really need somebody to be like, you know what franchise we need to keep going? You know what we need to make into a franchise is The Exorcist. I will say, however, though, that they definitely made this sufficiently creepy. Production design-wise, the little girls with the makeup and everything... They definitely brought back that element of the original Exorcist. Uh, the voice when the little girl is walking through the church saying the body and the blood. Very well done. So I think from a production standpoint, there's a lot to watch here. But even the original movie, like I've never had a desire to go back and watch it. And I'm very skeptical that the writing of this will be on the ele- the level of the original movie. So it just sort of looks like, oh, yeah, the sequel ha- or the original had one person possessed. The sequel is going to have two people possessed and one of them is going to be black. Tackle. Tackle. Yeah, this is this is a, a, a theme we've had, what, the last five years, which is just remake everything. Is this secretly a Disney studio that made this? 
Yeah. I think this is, uh, look, it's the exorcist with two kids. It's exactly that. No, thank you. Tackle. Tackle. I think that's four. That's four tackles, William. Oh, man. As much as I love dicks, I think if I, if you made me watch something, I think at least King of Killers would give me explosions. I think that's it. I think that's well, the one well, I have to Well, go Dix to. will give you explosions, too. They're just different. That's true. That's true. But, you know, I think that falls into the 0% queer that I have on my tag right now in Discord. Uh, yes. I, think, uh, I think I would have to have some percentage of queer in order to see Dix. Well, and the least queer movie out of these four is King of Killers, is it not? Oh, yeah, that's probably true. And I didn't, that wasn't on purpose. But, yeah, that's probably true. All right, that brings us to the end of this episode. What did we learn this trip? William? Uh, apparently, I don't like dicks. Justin, what did you learn this trip? And no, that's not uh, a cop. <laughs> <laughs> I, I learned that I think we're really going off the beaten path as a culture as far as discussing what the actual issues are. That we're starting to have a lot of conflicts that are important conflicts now. Whereas I think previously the conflicts weren't as important. They were just sort of more over the top. But the farce is more how we're approaching the conflicts now than what the conflicts actually are about. All right. I want to thank everybody for listening to the show. If it wasn't for you, it would just be me talking in the corner of my closet like a crazy person. I mean, it still is that. You just make me feel a little bit less crazy. Uh, the podcast is circling the cords right now, so I got to get this out quick. Uh, Support us, midside.com slash store. There's merch, midside.com slash the cut, my book. Got Patreon or locals, patrons per episode, locals per month. That's how we keep the lights on. And make sure you tell a female friend because that's the best way to grow the show. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emelzneski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Have a big dick day. Welcome to the midside where we thought teen takeovers. I'm going to take that again. Welcome to the midside where we thought teen takeovers meant overnight lock ins at the local bowling alley. What the hell? (laughs) Wow. Way to step on it, Justin. All right, one more time. And that's just going to be the tag at this point. I'm just going to pop that off and put it at the, (laughs) the end.